Um, happy Sabbath to every one of us. As we worship together today, it is my prayer that we will receive Sabbath blessings that God has promised us. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Our dear God and our Father, as your message is presented, may the Holy Spirit convict us, melt us, mold us, and transform us through the presentation of your word. And Lord, may you strengthen me as I deliver your message today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> In Shakespearean play, Julius Caesar, Caesar confided in Mark Anthony that his suspicious of Cassius and that he feared Cassius might have political ambitions that might drive him to betray Julius Caesar. Caesar's fears were not unfounded. Cassius indeed set out to betray Julius Caesar and to overthrow him. Mark and Caesar said to Mark Anthony concerning Cassius, Cassius has a lean and hungry look. He thinks too much. Such men are dangerous. Cassius knew that he needed the support of a reputable person in order to overthrow Julius Caesar. He went to the best friend, the most trusted friend of Julius Caesar, Brutus. And by trickery, he convinced Brutus to join in the conspiracy to overthrow Julius Caesar. On the Ides of March, as the conspirators made their way to the Senate, each one of them, as planned, stabbed Julius Caesar one by one. When Julius Caesar saw his best friend, Brutus, participating in the conspiracy, he was deeply wounded. And as Brutus gave that last stab, Julius Caesar uttered those infamous words, et tu, Brute, you to Brutus, and he fell and died. 
Betrayal is a violation of trust. Of all the things a person can experience, there is probably nothing emotionally painful as a betrayal. Betrayal is especially painful because it is usually inflicted by someone close to us, maybe a trusted friend, a spouse, a colleague, a church member. It is painful. The psalmist in Psalm 55 describes the sting of the pain of betrayal. He says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe, if a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. I remember the day when I came to know someone so close to me, someone I trusted with my life, betrayed my trust. My world just came to a standstill. I was in a state of shock. I felt my energy draining from my body. My body became numb and I curled up in a fetal position. I wanted to cry, but I couldn't even cry because of the pain, because of the shock, trying to make sense of what was happening to me. And I said, is this a nightmare? Will I wake up from this nightmare? There is always a sense of shock, a sense of pain when there is a betrayal. And when we look at the life story of Joseph, Joseph experienced one of the worst betrayals recorded in the Bible. He loved his 10 older brothers like any little brother would love his older brothers. He trusted him. He expected them to protect him from all harm. After all, they were a family and family protect each other. And did they not protect their sister Dina when she was violated by Shechem, the prince of the city of Shechem. And did they not, all the brothers together, avenge their sister by taking the lives of all the male uh, members in that city. But Joseph was so wrong about his brothers. When their father sent Joseph to check on his brothers, 
Joseph went willingly. And the Bible says they saw him in the distance and they plotted to kill him. And as he came near to them, instead of welcoming him with love and joy, what did they do? They did the unthinkable. They harshly took hold of him. They stripped him of his rich ornamented robe. And they threw him into a pit to gradually starve to death. And later on, when the Ishmaelite merchants passed by that way, what did they do? They took him out from the pit and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver as if he were just a slave and not a family member. Can you imagine what a terrifying experience that must have been for Joseph each time as they took, as they threw him into the pit and as they sold him to the Ishmaelite merchants, each time he pleaded with his brothers, brothers, please don't do this to me. Brothers, I love you, please don't do this to me. Each time he pleaded with them fervently with terror-filled voice. But his cry, but they turned on a deaf fear to him. His own blood brothers became his betrayers. His own blood brothers became his worst enemies. But the beauty of the story of Joseph is not about the betrayal that he suffered in the hands of his brothers. The beauty of the story of Joseph is the forgiveness he exemplified in his life. His life was a life of forgiveness. He harbored no bitterness against his brothers in spite of all that they had done to him. Their betrayal had caused him so much. It had caused him his youth. It had robbed him 20 years of being with his beloved father and his little brother, Benjamin. And it had caused him years of suffering as a slave and as a prisoner. And yet, when the brothers appeared before Joseph, Joseph treated them with kindness. He treated them with kindness. He did not treat them as they deserved. He showed them love. He showed them mercy. He did what Jesus commands us to do. Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you. 
And that is exactly what Joseph did to his brothers. All of us have experienced wounds by someone, inflicted by someone close to us. Maybe a family member, maybe a fellow church member, maybe a close friend, a colleague. All of us have wounds. Maybe it was caused by a betrayal, abuse, abandonment, rejection, humiliation, being taken advantage of, being maligned, being ignored, being belittled, being cheated on, you name it. And as a result, we have deep emotional wounds. And when we are wounded, forgiveness is the last thing that is on our mind. We recoil at the very thought of forgiveness because forgiveness is against our human nature. Our human nature wants to take revenge. Our human nature is more comfortable with the law of retaliation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's what we are comfortable with. C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. And according to a research done by Barna Group, one in every four practicing Christians says there is someone they cannot forgive. One in every four Christians says there is someone they are unable to forgive. Forgiveness is difficult. Forgiveness is excruciating. But nevertheless, for believers, forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is a command. It is not an option. The Bible says, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave us. It is a command. It's not an option given to us. So the, questions, the question comes, how do we forgive when the wounds run deep? What are the keys to forgiveness? So today, I would just like to look at four points. The keys to forgiveness. I have struggled. I want to confess, I have struggled with forgiveness in my life. And one of the reasons that I struggle with forgiveness is I do not understand 
what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. There are many misconceptions, many myths around about what forgiveness is or what forgiveness is not. And that confuses us and that makes it harder for us to forgive. So I'd just like to point out what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not because that is crucial to helping us to forgive those who have wronged us. Forgiveness, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for having hurt me. Forgiveness is giving up my right to retaliate for the wrong done to me. Forgiveness is canceling the debt a person owes to me for having offended me. That is biblical forgiveness. But oftentimes, we believe that when we forgive our offenders, we are letting them go scot-free while we unfairly suffer from their actions. So we are like that little boy who sat on a park bench who was in obvious pain. A man came up to him, seeing him in pain, and he said, little boy, what are you doing? And the little boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the young man and, and, the, uh, and the person said urgently, why don't you get up? And the little boy said, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. How many times we behave like that, refusing to forgive because we think it is unfair. But forgiveness, when we forgive an offender, we are not allowing that person to go scot-free. By forgiving, we are releasing that person into God's hands. What does God say, uh, what does the Bible say? Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is not yours. It is not mine. It is not your right. It is not my right. God says, do not worry, forgive, let it go. I will deal with it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Give him if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing it, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Another misconception we have is that Forgiveness is a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Many times we feel that Jesus' command to love our enemies means we should have warm, fuzzy, or affectionate 
feelings towards our enemy in order to forgive. But that is not what the Bible says. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice in spite of how you feel about that person. It is a decision. It is a choice. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Many times we think, oh, forgiveness is a one-time event. But oftentimes, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is a process. We grow in forgiveness. Forgiveness is a journey. Even after we have forgiven a person genuinely and sincerely, we find ourselves experiencing anger or bitterness coming up to the surface often. It doesn't mean we haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is a journey. We continue to forgive. Just as we grow in other graces, in other Christian traits, we grow in forgiveness. And our forgiveness becomes more and more mature. Forgiveness doesn't mean you no longer feel the pain of the offense. Forgiveness doesn't mean you no longer feel the pain of the offense. Just as physical wounds take time to heal, likewise, emotional wounds take time to heal. Just because you haven't healed completely, it doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It is a process. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveth, forgiveness doesn't mean we forget. It means we choose not to hold the offense against the person who has wronged us. We do not forget, but we do not use it against that person. Forgiveness doesn't mean we tolerate the person and allow that person to hurt us over and over again. Forgiveness doesn't mean we become doormats. We do not enable the wrongdoer to continue in his wrongdoing. We have to create boundaries in order to help not just ourselves, but the offender as well. Forgiveness is not excusing if we look at the life of Joseph, what did he tell his brother? What he meant for evil, what they did, he pointed out, was evil. But God turned it into good. Forgiveness is not excusing. And forgiveness is not the same as trust or reconciliation. Many times we think, oh, if I forgive that person, I'll have to trust that person again, or I will have to be reconciled to that person again, and I'm not ready to do it. While forgiveness is unconditional, whether the person repents, apologizes or not, forgiveness is unconditional. We give forgiveness, we extend forgiveness to our offender, irrespective of how they behave. But trust and reconciliation 
air conditioner. Unless there is repentance, remorse on the part of the offender, God does not call us to trust the offender or to be reconciled to the offender. So these are the, uh, some of the misconceptions we have. Another key to forgiving is to recognize that forgiveness is an act of faith. We struggle. Forgiveness is so difficult. We struggle to forgive. Another key to forgiving our offender is to recognize that forgiveness is an act of faith. Jesus said to his disciples, if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And what did the disciples answer? The disciples said, increase our faith. Forgiveness is an act of faith. Forgiveness takes faith just as any other commands given in the Bible. God said to Noah, Noah, build an ark. I'm going to send a flood that will destroy the whole world. He acted out in faith and he built an ark. It was an act of faith. God said to Abraham, get out of this country to the land that I'm going to show you. And by faith, Abraham ventured out. When David confronted Goliath, it was by faith, trusting in God. Forgiveness is an act of faith. We cannot forgive with our own strength. We need the grace of God to help us to forgive. I'm reminded of the story of Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom was speaking uh, to uh, uh, in a place, in a city in Germany, after she was released from a concentration camp for hiding Jews in her house. And after she finished speaking, as she stood to shake hands and to greet her listeners, her eye caught on somebody. And who was that somebody? A guard who was there in the concentration camp where she had been kept. And as she saw him, she froze to the ground. And this person came to her. He extended his hand to her and he said, you mentioned Ravensburg concentration camp. I was a guard there. But since then, I have become a Christian. I know God has forgiven me for all the cruel things I did to others. But 
Today, I want to hear it from your own mouth that you have forgiven me. Fraulein, will you forgive me? And he thrust out his hand again. Corrie Ten Boom knew she had to forgive. Forgiveness is not an option for a believer who has been forgiven by God. But she couldn't. Memories came rushing back. She remembered her sister Betsy, so frail, who died a slow death in that concentration camp. No, she cannot extend her forgiveness to this former captor. But she prayed. She said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do only so much. You supply the feeling because I have nothing in me that wants to forgive this person. But I, but I need to forgive him. And so according to her story, woodenly, mechanically, she thrust her hand into that outstretched hand. And as she did, an incredible thing took place. A healing warmth seemed to flood her whole being, bringing tears to her eyes. And genuinely, she could utter these words, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all my heart. Forgiveness is an act of faith. Second, last point. We need to look at the cross. When we struggle to forgive, we need to look at the cross and remember what God did in Christ on the cross. Mercy was given to us. A woman came to Napoleon seeking pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed the same offense twice and justice demanded his death. But the mother said to, to Napoleon, but I don't ask for justice, I ask for mercy. And Napoleon said, but he doesn't deserve mercy. Justice demands his death. To which the woman replied, Sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all that I ask for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy and he spared the woman's son. And that is exactly what God did in Christ for us on the cross. He forgave our sins. He canceled our sins by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He showed mercy to us 
the undeserving while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My fellow believers, whenever you are struggling with forgiveness, turn your eyes to the cross where mercy was granted to you and to me. And you will find the grace to forgive your offenders. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 18. A king was settling accounts and he found out a man who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was a measure of weight, around, let's say, 100 pounds. And one talent of silver was worth one, was worth a lifetime's wages. One talent of silver was worth a lifetime's wages. And a talent of gold was worth 30 lifetimes wages. And how much this person owed the king? 10,000 talents. If it were to, even if it were to be measured in silver, this person owed the king 10,000 lifetimes wages. The debt was astronomical. It was beyond his payment. And the king said, pay up. And the man begged, give me some more time. And the king knew there was no way this person could ever pay this huge debt. And out of mercy, what did he do? He canceled his debt. Cancel. That's the biblical meaning of forgiveness. He wiped it clean. He canceled it. And who is that person? That person is me. That person is you. We owe God 10,000 lifetimes wages, which we could never pay up, but he forgave us. He canceled our debt. But what did this man do? He found another person, a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. One denarius was worth a day's wages, and 100 denarii was worth 100 days' wages. So small in comparison to what this first servant had owed the king. But what did this, the first servant do? He took him by the throat and he said, pay up. And the person begged, please give me time, I will pay you up. But he threw him into the prison. The debt we owe God pales in comparison to what others owe to us. They may, whatever others may do, whatever wrongs they may do, they pale in comparison to what you and I have done to God.
and he forgave us. And the last point, when we are struggling to forgive, we need to recognize that forgiveness is an act of worship. Forgiveness is an act of worship. What is worship? We come to church, we sing songs, uh, praises, we pray to him, we adore him through our words, through our songs, through our prayers. We are telling God by our words, by our actions, and by our uh, lives that we love him. We are grateful to him for what he has done. People in Old Testaments brought sacrifices and offerings to worship God. The wise men from the East brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold to worship the baby Jesus Christ. The sinful woman brought an, an expensive alabaster jar of perfume to show her gratitude to worship Jesus for having forgiven her sins. And the same way, we can offer our life to God by being a forgiving person, forgiving others who have wronged me. And such a life is a life of worship. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When I live a life of forgiveness, when I'm forgiving, and when I forgive those who, are, those who have offended me, and I keep on forgiving them, my life becomes a great display of worship. And I'm continually, and I'm continually worshiping God, bringing honor and glory to his name. And that is the kind of life you and I are called to live. I want to end with a story about forgiveness. Rebecca was married to a pastor and her husband was a renowned retreat leader. But soon after their marriage, it became clear that her husband, who was a pastor, had a dark side. He was addicted to pornography. And on his preaching trips, he would solicit prostitutes. Sometimes he would be remorseful and ask forgiveness. And sometimes, he would not, and eventually he left her, Rebecca, and their children for another woman, Julian. It was an excruciating and humiliating experience for Rebecca 
To add to her pain, some church members treated her as though her husband's unfaithfulness to their marriage was her fault. Rubbing salt to the raw wounds of betrayal. Rebecca had so much anger, so much bitterness and resentment towards her ex-husband. She didn't like, feel like forgiving, but she knew as a child of God, it was a duty for her to forgive her ex-husband. For many months, she prayed, struggling to forgive so that she could at least have the desire to forgive. At first, her, her prayers uh, to God were that God would treat uh, her husband as he deserved, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. But finally, she came to a place when, where she could release her ex-husband into the hands of God to treat him as he deemed fit. One night, Rebecca took the phone and she rang up her husband. She said, I forgive you. And I forgive Julian too. Her husband, her ex-husband had no remorse. He laughed at her offer of forgiveness, unwilling to admit that he had done anything wrong. But Rebecca felt good because she had done what she needed to do. Few years passed by. One day, Rebecca received a hysterical phone call from Julian, the woman who had stolen her husband. She had been attending a ministerial conference with him, and he left the hotel room to go for a walk. Few hours passed by, and Julian heard from the police that her husband had been picked up soliciting a prostitute. On the phone, Julian was sobbing uncontrollably. She said, I feel so ashamed and hurt and guilty. I need someone to talk to, someone who can understand me. I remember the night you said you forgave us. I know it is a terrible thing to ask, but could I come and talk to you? It was the hardest thing Rebecca had had to do. But placing her faith in God, she found the courage to invite Julian 
over to the, her home. And as they sat in the living room, they cried together. They shared stories of betrayal. And in the end, they prayed together, husband stealer and abundant wife kneeling side by side in a living room floor praying. Later on, Julian pointed to that night as the night she became a Christian. C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Is there someone we need to forgive? Has God brought to our mind someone whom we need to forgive? That person may be a family member, a close friend, a fellow church member, a colleague. I invite you, let us step out in faith and God will help us to do the impossible. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, help, dear God, help us to remember that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay, and he paid our debt for us on the cross. May we extend the same mercy, the same forgiveness that you have extended to us towards others, and may we be able to forgive them. This is a humble prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 